Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and a very warm welcome uh, to the afternoon here on Ausbiz live from our Brangaroo studios. You've tuned in for the call. Uh, 10 stocks picked by you. I've put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. It is Tuesday the 15th of November. Let's get straight into it with our uh, panel today. Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. Scott, welcome to this Tuesday. Good to see you. Feeling good about the markets? Mate, it's hard to feel bad about the markets after last week's gains. And oh, no. of course, the month of October was the best month in 46 years on the on the Dow. So I don't know if you're looking if you're looking for signs of hope, that's where you find them. <laughs> I got to say, mate, I'm always happier being the optimist in a room of pessimists right. rather than an optimist in a room of optimists, because I kind of feel like the, the response to the US inflation numbers was welcome, probably right. even, I think, corrected some overly pessimistic expectations of the market. But when everyone else is excited, I'm there going... I don't know. I don't know, guys. Just calm down a bit. Uh, so I, I, I kind of have the contrary on both sides. But yeah, look, I think uh, I'm always happy to see a bit more green in the portfolio and, and a few more gains. Yeah. I think there's probably more to come too. So yeah, pretty, in a pretty oh, good Oh, that's good. The Santa rally well and truly underway. Kevin Robinson from Team Investor. Are your members feeling uh, a bit buoyant at the moment or wary? Well, yes, uh, we're, we're always aware of the uh, Buffett quote, of course, be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. But uh, it's always nice to see uh, your shares, your share portfolio going up. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think overall we're fairly optimistic, um, busy looking at uh, particular businesses and making assessments as to whether we think they're worth investing in or not yeah, at any yeah. given time. Okay. Uh, looking forward to seeing your view on whether uh, these businesses in our first half hour are worth looking at. Uh, we're going to be covering Nine Entertainment, Dexas, uh, Kingston Resources, Ardent Leisure, uh, and Smart Group Corporation. Stock of the day, though, I thought we'd take a look at AGL. Uh, Mike Cannon-Brooks has won a bid to uh, this morning to install four new directors at AGL Energy and move the company to a green energy future. Ahead of AGL's annual general meeting, the tech uh, titan prevailed against Chair Patricia McKenzie. Uh, with Mark Twadell, uh, Kerry Schott, Christine Holman and John Polers joining as new members of the board, all backed by Mike Cannon-Brooks. Uh, what, does, what does this mean for your shareholding? And, uh, you know, it's such a significant change on the board. Does it make people reassess the, uh, the potential of AGL? Um, what do you think, Scott? Um, the market just down slightly, probably... Uh, AGL price down in line with the overall market, but um, the changes to the board, does that change your view on the stock? It's a really good question, Koshi. I think in this case, it probably does unusually because this is one where there is a real fight for the hearts and minds and, and frankly, shareholder votes of, of the shareholder base. Yeah. Uh, more often than not, one decent director replaced another decent director with no meaningful change in strategy. And remember, most of the time too, 
it's probably too cute to say that directors don't drive strategy, the CEO does, but I think it's also pretty true generally speaking. That is, whatever the CEO is trying to do now, he or she will probably be trying to do it in 12 months' time, no matter how many changes are made to the board. This is a very significant change. This is all about the Mike Cannon-Brooks show at AGL. I don't say that pejoratively or, or supportively, by the way, just what's going on. Um, Cannon-Brooks is the largest single shareholder. He's got a very specific vision for the company. He's advanced that vision, both in terms of the original demerger knockdown and then the subsequent changes to the board. So, you know, this, yeah, more than, more than almost at any time I can recall in large corporate history, lots of little companies that, you know, get whipsawed around the place, yeah. but very rare a large scale board change means that big a difference to the company. But it clearly does here. There is a there is a Mike Cannon-Brooks view uh, supported by those directors or vice versa. They're all buying into it. I'm not saying they're necessarily puppets for him, but he's put them up because he thinks they are going to achieve the vision he sees for the company. And so you better believe that Cannon-Brooks's vision is the way the business will be run. If you like that, if you think it's gonna create value for shareholders and you're pretty happy, if you didn't like it yesterday, you're gonna like it even less today. Uh, and it probably is a chance for some people to sell their shares who maybe thought Cannon-Brooks is there, but the board is the board, they'll do their thing. Yep. This is very clearly a change in, I think, company strategy, uh, and that will be prosecuted for for better or worse. So yeah, you really should be looking at the new board and Cannon-Brooks' vision and saying, is this the company I want to own either as a current shareholder? Maybe it is a new shareholder you're looking at saying, Right, I love what Cannon Books is going to do. Now's the time to buy AGL shares. Yeah. Uh, but you probably shouldn't. Uh, you, probably, you probably shouldn't think nothing about it. There, there is definitely a change here, and you need to know and, and have a view whether that's good or bad for your investment. Is uh, is it enough to get you on board AGL? I no, um, not because I have a particular view on Cannon Brooks specifically. I, I am pretty bearish on both these companies, despite the takeover bid, by the way, for Origin. This is a low margin price taking business. Uh, yeah. it, it's been a terrible business for most of the last 20 or so years, generally speaking. So I don't want to be there necessarily, certainly not at elevated prices. Um, I, you know, environmentally, I, I'm a card-carrying believer in the science of climate change, so I hope Cannabrooks is right. Yeah. I hope a faster change to renewables is doable, and I hope it's actually, it's also in the interest of AGL shareholders. I think it probably is on balance. Whether it's good value at the current price, that's a different question. Uh, no, I, I'm still sitting on the okay. sidelines. Because you look at that five-year chart, and it was at 25 bucks. Uh, in, in the last five years. So not much yeah. chance of it getting back to that. Uh, what do you reckon, Kevin? Well, yeah, I think Scott said, given all the background I could give um, on it, and yes, I, I tend to agree. It's not one that uh, meets our filters, of course. It, uh, the uh, earnings per share has been going up and down, and uh, you know, so we don't see any, any consistent sort of decent growth out of that. Um, and uh, yeah, so... It, basically doesn't meet our filters. And I agree, right. uh, on top of that, you've now got a very large board uh, who you'd have to say are probably, a number of them may well be in disagreement with each other. So there's a few interesting times ahead, I think. Yeah, to be a fly on the wall in that board, that's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, all right, let's get into the stocks that you want us to take a look at. And Kevin Simon wants a view on Nine Entertainment, the owner, of course, of the, the Fairfax um, um, newspaper. Uh, Empire, as well as the Nine Television Network. They've also got Stan in there as well. Uh, what do you think of Nine, Kevin? Uh, well, again, it doesn't really meet our filters. It, it, it's good in some of the measures. The debt's reasonable um, and the stability of the earnings and sales are reasonable. Stability's low for the earnings. Um, it's kind of all over the place. So, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't sort of come up with us. Um, it is a business that obviously all of these businesses, the, the traditional television businesses have had to change 
with lots of competition for advertising from other other groups, uh, other media, internet, and so forth, which it is. It's also got uh, Domain Properties, yes. which is yeah. the second property advertiser, if you like, uh, in Australia. Um, so uh, it, it, it's changing, doesn't meet our filters, not one that uh, our members generally would look at. If you wanted uh, dividends, the PE has been dropping over the last uh, little while and it's, uh, I calculate around about a nine and a half percent grossed up dividend. So if you're, you know, if some dividend share, they might be wanting that, that, that uh, for this. Okay. All right. The nine and a half percent grossed up dividend is uh, pretty attractive in this environment. Scott, what are, what's your view on Nine Entertainment? Yeah, Koshi, I, I want to like nine. It's pretty cheap and we're at an interesting point in the advertising cycle. The the, the assets it owns are, are good quality assets. Uh, so there's got a lot of things going for the company. I think what we don't yet know across the board, across free-to-air, uh, including the other television networks, is what is the role of free-to-air broadcasting and frankly, even the, 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 the old, what we would have called newspapers, I don't know what we should call them these days, but the, the websites, uh, the, old, the old mastheads. Yep. You know what the what the future of that looks like in in three, five, ten years time, and that is the key question for investors because you're not buying. Even though the dividend's great, and, and I think that's absolutely something we should think about for income investors. What matters is the income in three, five, and seven years time, as well as the profitability of the business. Now, at the moment, it's live TV, it's sport and it's news. Um, so it was live TV, sorry, reality TV, uh, sport and news. That they're really they're three big pillars for the free to air networks, and they're doing really, really well with each of them. So those things are really positive. I think what the the challenge again looking is what does Amazon want with sport? What does uh, Facebook or Twitter do with reality TV and so on and so forth? If that becomes a drain on free to air, then it really will jeopardize the prices that we're paying today. I don't think the networks are going anywhere anytime soon, but the advertising revenue, the, the sheer number of eyeballs uh, that, that those networks can attract is an open question for me. I've got to say, mm -hmm. 10 odd times earnings though, it's very hard to walk past. Yeah. Um, I am going to gradually put it on a hold. I think right. if it was a little bit cheaper, um, you might want to take a swing, particularly for dividend investors. We've already heard it probably is an opportunity to, to, to go and look at some of those, um, you know, again, a, a diversified portfolio, a small portion. Even if it halves from there, you're still getting four point something. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, it, even if it falls, you're still getting a very, very, very good yield. So nothing to sneeze at. But I, I can't quite buy it. Maybe, at, I don't know, 10, 20 percent less. I'd be I'd be tempted to make it a buy. Um, but right. because of that inherent uncertainty, I think I've probably got to leave it as a hold for now. OK. All right. Um, Scott Paul wants a view on Dexus, the uh, the big mm. property group, which I I notice is uh, doing what, a convertible note raising five hundred million dollars to institutional investors just in the last day mm. or so. Um, haven't said what they're going to do with the money, but what do you think of Dexus? And it's a uh, what is it a six year low, I think, mm. as well the mm. share price, which uh, companies get. Get came for that, don't they? For for raising when prices are really low. Yeah. And mate, I, I gotta tell you, I, I almost reckon just for shareholders' own interest, they should ban companies from raising capital almost across the board because yeah. the number of times you see it done so poorly, the money's raised and wasted, or it's right. You know, they do buybacks at high prices. Whitehaven Coal, God love them, at a record share price, are unveiling a share buyback. And the Dexas that, as you say, a 12 month low is, is issuing new shares. And you kind of think, guys, come on, like capital management, capital allocation is yeah. is job one with a bullet for every board, every CEO. What are you doing now? Yeah. Look, maybe there's an opportunity. Maybe they can put that $500 million to good use. There's no point saying, yeah, they could have raised it months ago, obviously. If you can say now, well, OK, they can still raise it and do it profitably, then maybe there's an opportunity for something there. Um, so I wouldn't rule out the, the, the 
chance it could be used well. Whether it's being raised at a decent price, here's the thing, if you think the shares are worth buying now, you shouldn't want them to be raising capital at that price because you're saying yeah. it's an attractive price, right? A company can't go out there and say, this is a great price for our shares. By the way, we're using it to raise capital. It just doesn't make sense. So no. there's, a, there's a natural um, disconnect there. That being said, the, the low price is interesting. Eight and a half times earnings is fascinating. The profits, by the way, are at a 10 year high. So if you compare that with the share price, what we're really seeing is a market that says the good times are behind us. The future is tougher. Therefore, we're marking the shares down. That is, that is the only thing you can draw from this one. And I don't think it's an unreasonable fear. We talked before about the changing role of everything from uh, you know, working from home, shopping from home, the role of, of future workplaces and, and, uh, and retail in particular. Uh, I don't want to be buying office buildings. I don't want to be buying mid-tier retail right now. I don't mind bulky goods retailing. I don't mind warehousing. Those things will probably have a, a reasonably bright future. So Index is being so diversified, it's hard to pin it down to a particular, yeah. particular business. Yeah. Um, I, Again, I'll say it's a hold for me on the basis of it's a pretty attractive price, but it's not a very attractive industry. If you own the shares already, you obviously own them because you think the future's bright. I wouldn't be selling them necessarily. I just can't see, based on that 10-year high profit-wise, you've got to believe that can continue to grow. These tend to be cyclical yeah. businesses. That's not a per share basis, by the way, so it removes any any capital raising boosts. Uh, so look, they've done a really good job of managing the assets. The, the, the operation is good. The question yeah. is, can it continue to be good with those headwinds against yeah. it the market is saying no that's why it's an eight and a half times earnings i'm going to take a similar view and say it's a high. yeah yeah it is weird as you say a 10 10 year profit high six year share price low exactly <laughs> hard to compute is it kevin what do you think of dexas yes it's uh i i agree with scott on a lot of things it, it doesn't meet our filters as it the earnings per share growth is just not there it's not a there's not a stable pattern in that Interestingly, uh, in Melbourne yesterday, our uh, Melbourne group was looking at Goodman, uh, right. which is uh, closer to it. It's got more warehouses and it's a more international business. Um, but uh, yeah, Dexus wouldn't wouldn't be for us. And, and again, like like Scott says, the dividends looks good because the share price is low, so the PE's been marked okay. down. All right. So, what was their view on Goodman? Yesterday. Uh, Goodman was, we didn't accept it at this stage. We had a lot of discussion. Um, interestingly, the view overall was when you take out the uh, revaluations, the property revaluations, then the underlying growth is not strong. Right. Um, also, there was some uh, wonder if we, it, it, it's sometimes a bit difficult to understand. It's a complex business to try and understand, particularly when you throw in those valuations into the account. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, property valuations are anyone's guess at the moment, isn't it? All right. Oh, let's. Uh, Peter wants a view, uh, Kevin, on Kingston Resources, uh, Gold Explorer with um, uh, a project in, uh, in New Guinea and also the Livingston Gold Project here in Australia. Yes. <laughs> Again, uh, I don't I, I think they may have recently made a very small profit, but other than that, it's right. all been loss making. And you can see it in the uh, you can see it in the um, the shares on issue. They've been raising capital all the way through. It's also uh, at the moment we I make it at around about 30 to just under 40 million dollars market cap, uh, which is a little bit small for us. We, we start at 100 million. Right. Um, but fundamentally, again, it's uh, it's not making money. They're sort of they're hopefuls, if you like. They're hoping to make some profits in the future. Right. Um, and I suppose, Scott, in an area like this, it looks as though um, 
uh, gold stocks are, are starting to move up. They've lagged for quite a while. We have so many great gold producers in this country, don't we? So that if, you, if you're looking for stocks in a particular sector, um, this is likely to come way down the list. I think it has to, Koshi. When you're an explorer, you are, you know, you're in the lotto ticket business. And I don't mean that to sound pejorative. You just, no one knows what's going to happen, right? For, for everyone that finds something, there'll be a dozen or so that don't. And yeah. you can look at the one that finds something and say, if only I have that one, I might be okay. Uh, but if you have one of the other ones, you're probably not going to be okay. And by the time you bought a basket of them, I'm not even still sure whether you'd make any upside. So you've got to be really, really, frankly, it's lucky. You know, people will tell you tell you that there's reasons for believing X, Y, and Z. On a probabilistic basis, they might even be close to right. Um, but you've got to be very, very good because realistically, each of these companies thinks it can find something. That's why it's raised capital. That's why it's can put operations together. That's why it's out there digging and drilling, trying to find resources um, because they believe they can. They believe it's worth trying. Again, across the industry, we're glad that people have found oil and gold and copper and lithium in the past because these are important commodities. So we're glad it's been done. Whether or not an investor should be buying shares at this price and saying, I'm going to hope this is the one, I think that's too hard. And as you say, Koshi, we have some really good low cost gold miners in the country. Yeah. I, I think, you know, at low gold prices is probably the time you want to be looking for these guys, by the way. And so, again, as you say, if you've got, you know, if you've got a, a Warren Buffett's famed 20 punch card. Uh, investing horizon. Do you waste one of the punch cards, punches on 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 this? Probably not. Well, definitely not. I don't think. I think I, again. I I don't own any gold mines. I never have. I may at some point. Uh, but if you're going to, there are just simply better, higher probability right. bets you can make. If you want a lot of ticket, I mean, knock yourself out. But just know that's what you're doing. Um, it, it's only investing in in name. Really, yeah. it's it's speculation. Probably intelligent speculation. If you want to go for it, uh, but it's not the sort of business that you should expect will give you good returns. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. That's kind of down to luck, as I said. Uh, just yeah. know what you're buying, know why you're doing it, and consider this a, a gamble, a punt, a, a speculation, which if you want to do that with some of your money, go for it. Uh, but but that needs to be hopefully a small proportion. Now, hopefully you get lucky, but it wouldn't be one for me for an investment yeah. portfolio. Scott Phillips, you've never owned a gold stock. I have never owned a gold mine. I'm I almost bought I'm Evolution really Mining about five years ago. Yeah, why well, not? See, here's the... Because of the cyclical nature of the business, Koshi, it's right. very difficult. So two things. One, I mentioned before the, the old 20 punch card idea. In my entire portfolio, do I like a gold miner more than what I own or what I could otherwise buy? No, not yet. So that's part of the problem right. is you can only own a certain number of stocks. I mean, you can own as many as you want. But realistically, if you're putting your money in your best ideas, is it one of my best 10, 15, 20 ideas? Almost certainly not. The times when I look at it, though, are when the gold price is low and share prices tend to be low. That limits your downside, doesn't eliminate it, but it limits the downside yeah. and it means you've got a better risk reward trade off. So if I was going to, that's when I would. Um, generally speaking, though, these are not particularly attractive businesses to own. Over the long term, industrial companies, non-miners, non-resources companies tend to outperform really significantly, yeah, really significantly. Uh, and it's just the nature of the business. It's very, right. you're not a price maker. You take whatever price you're given. You're at the vagaries of, of the commodity price you're trying to dig out. Yeah. Um, they tend to fall back towards marginal cost of production by definition. That's why we call them commodities because they're entirely replaceable and substitutable, which is great for the consumers or the business or industrial consumers of these things. Um, you, that, that's fantastic for them. You want to be able to buy at a global price, which represents the, the marginal cost of production. That's fantastic. As investors, that means there's not a lot of upside. There's not a lot of mm. brand premium or contract mm. premium. There is a bit of low cost premium with some of the iron ore miners for what it's worth. And I do own shares in Fortescue. But right. generally speaking, commodities are very, very, very hard on a per share yeah. basis to outperform other companies with. So it just doesn't doesn't meet the top yeah, echelon of stock picking for me. Okay, really interesting. 
All right, um, uh, Kevin Paul wants a view on Ardent Leisure. Now, here's a company that's undergone a, a fair bit of change. It sold its its US business um, earlier this year, distributed that all through to shareholders, and now it just owns the theme parks, Dream World, and Whitewater World up on the Gold Coast. Well, what do you think of Ardent Leisure, Kevin? Yeah, it's a, it, it is an interesting business. I don't know that yeah. it's interesting in a lot of the right ways for us. Um, yeah, it's not one, it, it doesn't have enough profitable history for us. Um, it, it's been making losses. It, uh, it had those troubles a little while ago at yeah. uh, Dreamworld. Uh, yeah, it had those, uh, those problems. Not that, you know, a good business should be able to over, overcome problems or prevent them, hopefully. But yeah, it just doesn't, doesn't meet our, uh, our criteria. Um, and it's not one that I've really had a very close look at, so I don't really right. know that much about it. Okay. Um, Scott, what do you think of Arden? So it's a really challenging business to analyze because of that main event sale, Koshi. Yeah. They've got a, a pretty penny for it. They did pretty well, actually. Uh, so, uh, you know, a, a pretty good result for the business itself. Of course, it was the target of some uh, activist investors that forced that, that sell. By the way, a lot of investors liked the main event business. They thought that was the main growth engine, but it was also the most highly valued part of the business. and was the belief of the board and i think probably accurately uh that it, it was simply undervalued inside Arden. they get more money outside than when it was tied up with the rest the theme park business of course has gone through its trials and, and tribulations unfortunately including some people who, who died using on some of the rides so it's been it's been a tough old time what that means unfortunately it's just really really hard to look at the financials and get some sense of the future i think they've done six straight years of losses um again probably not uh, unsurprisingly, because of the circumstances they've found themselves in with the ride safety issues, the remediation they've had to do, then COVID, where obviously people weren't traveling. So you say, well, how do you value Arden? The good news on their most recent announcement is their first quarter numbers on an operating profit level are actually in profit, I think, for the first time in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who looks at this and says, you know what, I can see what the opportunity might be for Arden, I'm happy to take a bit more risk in my portfolio. If that upswing does continue, the market may well re-rate this business and say, okay, the bad news is over, the good times are back, we can now pay up for this stock, a business we weren't prepared to pay for because we simply didn't know what was going on for the past five or six years. A long time waiting, but this might be the time. Now, that's this is this the inflection points can be really good for investors. If you've got a bit of an appetite for risk, you're prepared to maybe take a bit more risk, some smaller portions of your portfolio, maybe, maybe a basket of companies, you say, right, this is a loss to profit type scenario. Businesses that have been have good economics, good unit economics, but haven't got the scale potentially. So think about software companies. Yep. When you finally cross that point of going from loss making to profitable, all of a sudden a whole lot of investors find your company all of a sudden. A whole lot of people mm -hmm. are prepared to say, okay, we saw it coming, now it's here. Now watch how quickly this can grow. You do get those hockey stick profit graphs sometimes. This may well be one of those situations. If it is, this might be an attractive one. I'm not gonna say buy just yet. I am gonna say attractive. And I'm going to say one for the watch list. Right. I think it's a company you can probably keep on the watch list. No hurry, I don't think, uh, to to jump in on this one. Maybe the share price rises a bit, maybe it doesn't. But the value is going to be if and when it can be sustainably profitable in future. It's yeah. always going to be pretty cyclical. Uh, when you're relying on consumer sentiment and consumer spending and people traveling and all that kind of stuff, and frankly, we're about to go into a tougher economic time than we've had for a little while, then we may well see that that path to profitability elongated. And that's why I wouldn't jump in just yet. There's no hurry. But I do think it's one, if it does start to return to previous levels of profitability, and again, without that main event business, you'll look at the detail, not just the headline numbers. 
Uh, but I do think it could be one that actually could present some value. So mm. I, I'm, I'm sitting on the fence a lot so far. Koshi, I'll get off that fence soon. Uh, but for me, uh, I, I put would, it on your I watch would, list. I would be yeah. I'd, I think I'd be holding if I owned it. Yeah. If I didn't, I would absolutely I'd at the top of the watch list, ready yeah. to buy if you see sustainable improvement. Because it's sort of a, a reopening, is it, with tourism Correct. and the right. whole lot and people going this, yep. up to the Gold Coast for school holidays and the like. Uh, Scott, Mark wants a view on Smart Group Corporation. Mark says, I've been tracking this company. Uh, it's looking like it's about to turn on the charts. And Robert, another viewer, says um, is really interested in this as well, that uh, Robin has been told that it is an interesting business. Scott, what do you think? So no view on the charts, Koshi, as your viewers will know, I don't use charts yep. to do any investing, so I've got absolutely no idea on that one. I do like Smart Group, it's a recommendation of ours, it's currently a hold, so let me put that out right now. Uh, but it's probably due for a review. So I'm gonna say at the very, very, very edge of a hold, Right. Um, we may Ooh. well we may well have to review that because the share price has come down quite a lot over the last little while and is getting very attractive again. This is a business that's not going to grow very fast. Over the last, I think, three or four years, uh, earnings per share have pretty much flatlined. And that's not necessarily a terrible thing. People li like growth. We all like growth. More is better than less, generally speaking. Um, so, you know, that's what you would want ideally. Smart Group, though, is a massive cash generating machine. These guys are trading currently on a P of seven. Uh, they've got a fully front yield of 7.2%. This wow. is a remarkable cash generation business if you're looking for income from your portfolio. So you've got to balance those two things up. You're not getting any growth at all at earnings. So at the moment, at least over the past few years, the only return you're getting is the dividend. And 7% a year is not exactly market average gain. So it's actually probably slightly underperformed the market over that period of time. The share price coming down, though, is actually meant it's underperformed quite meaningfully. So you've got to be able to kind of keep these different ideas in your head at the same time. If you'd like this company for income, if you like what it's doing in terms of its its business, and by the way, salary packaging business, yep. uh, not unlike Macmillan Shakespeare, not a carbon copy, but pretty close, um, fleet management, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I quite like Smart Group. I like what it's doing. I like the cash it's generating. We moved it from buy to hold because the price was rising and because there was no growth. Um, right. Again, as I said, we're right on the edge of hold and buy here because if it doesn't mm. get earnings growth, the, the return, the dividend return itself is not enough to be market beating, and that's the the, the, the uh, yardstick we use. Yep. So right now, that's why it's right on that line. If it can get back into growth, then it becomes a buy. This is never going to be a shoot the lights out stock. It's never going to be a you know a, a hyper growth business. It's going to be a you know moderate ongoing gains in volume, keep costs under control, try and you know manage some operating leverage, a little bit of revenue growth, a bit more profit growth. That dividend is going to keep coming through and be pretty attractive. So it's a it's a it's a really good business. It's a really solid business. You've got to make sure you pay the right price because it's not growing, or wait for that growth to come in, or, or be confident that it's going to happen. Um, okay. So again, a hold for a me, hold. but an interesting one and one that mightn't be too far from an upgrade if the price falls a bit, or if they can manage to find some growth. Yeah, Kevin, what do you think of Smart Group? As uh, Scott was saying, it's a salary packaging novated lease. Um, outsourced administration that companies uh, give them five year low on the share price? Yep, that's right. Um, and it, it does look good. It's one that we've been following for a while and a number of our members uh, own shares in it. Oh. Uh, it is, as you say, salary packaging, novated leasing, particularly for government employees and particularly in the healthcare sector for the most part. Right. So nurses, doctors, that oh, kind of thing. Right. Yep. Um, which puts another wrinkle on it in the sense that we obviously need more of these people uh, as to whether we get them or not is a, a different story and that comes into what Scott was saying about uh, your judgment in terms of the growth. 
Um, and yes, the price is low, which means the PE is low at the moment. It's under 10, definitely. Uh, so yeah, it is one that we've been looking at and a number of our members are quite positive on. Mm. Uh, the earnings per share, a bit up and down, but uh, has been growing the last couple of years, uh, you know, gently, as Scott says. So yes, it is an interesting one. At, at this price, um, I would be tempted. I'm kind of a little bit more possibly on the positive side of, uh, okay. of Scott's uh, edge of hold, if you like. All right, so you're a buy on Spark Group? I'd have to say just, yes. Okay, just a buy. All right, let's recap the uh, the first five stocks in our stock of the day. AGL a no from both uh, Scott and Kevin. Uh, nine, a hold from Scott, no from Kevin, similar with Dexas. Uh, Kingston, a no from both Arden on Scott Scott's watch list, a no from, uh, from Kevin and Smart Group, a hold from Scott and a buy from Kevin. Uh, here on the call, we've been following our own uh, high conviction fantasy growth fund uh, as chosen by our investment committee, which you can look at the uh, November meeting on the website now on the platform, ausbiz.com. Um, in November, the committee decided to remove Incitec Pivot. They added seven group holdings. Mineral resources, the investment there was trimmed a bit. That uh, trimming was used to increase the weightings in JB Hi-Fi and Wes Farmers. And since the 1st of March, the uh, uh, the fund is up uh, just over 8.5%. Of course, keep sending in your requests here to the call because that's the first filter to go up to the investment committee. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while. And although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second to none trading tools. Plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Uh, this half hour, we're going to take a look at Race Oncology, Meyer, Harvey Norman, Credit Corp and Endeavour Group. And uh, Kevin Antoine wants a view on Race Oncology, the, uh, uh, the cancer treatment chemotherapy drug business. Yes, this is, uh, it, it, it's a one they're trying to bring it to market. So it's one of those uh, that, you know, I hope they succeed. Yep. In terms of an investment for us, I don't think so. There's a there's a saying Buffett uh, says to look at companies where you can be virtually certain or reasonably confident that the earnings will march upward over time. Yep. If you look at the at this one, it's been making losses and the uh, shares on issue have been marching upwards over time steadily, which uh, I'm not quite sure is, that's what you want, but not what we want. Right. Because it means uh, they've been asking for capital from the shareholders. Right. Um, so yes, I think not for us at this stage. Good luck to them. I hope you know it's one of those that will benefit society. Hopefully, once they get it going, and I hope they do. Yeah, um, Scott, it is one of those. As Kevin was saying, one of those stocks you uh, companies you hope that they succeed because good for humanity, good for health. Uh, Byzantine is the. Uh, chemotherapy drug that's going through uh, clinical studies at the moment? Yeah, and, and I can't add much more to Kevin's thoughts. It, yeah. This is absolutely one of those ones that becomes 
you know, a lot of times I talk about gold miners, it almost sounds a bit too trite to talk about it when we think about a drug that may be able to treat cancer. So we hope, we hope it's more than that. But again, like the gold miners, there are so many different companies. Well, you know what I love? I love the fact there are some really smart, thoughtful people and some investors prepared to put some money behind these things to maybe find out if this is the one drug or one of the drugs that can come to bear. Every one of the, the drugs that we take now was started in a lab by someone who said, I've got a good idea. Maybe this will work on this particular condition. So we all hope that's true. And we're glad there's some people putting some cash behind it to see if they can finally make a buck by bringing something like that to market that can really be efficacious and, and really deal with the, the condition, in this case, cancer that it's trying to treat. Mm. The problem is we just can't know. You know, no, no, no scientist goes into this thing saying this has never worked, but I'll spend 65 years of my life trying to fix it. Right. <laughs> they're they're going to say, I, I hope this will work. Um, you know, let's let's give it a red hot go and see if we can bring it to market. If they don't know themselves, a there's very little chance you or I can know better than them. But by definition, because they can't know, neither can we. And so it does become, again, one of those, it, it's just hope. Hope springs eternal, and that's great. I'm glad it does as an investment, particularly on market. You know, there are some people who say, well, I want to buy the shares because I hope it's successful. And if you want to be in that situation, buy the shares from the company when they're raising capital or go and do some impact investing or something else. If I own the shares of Race Oncology, it's not to you. You don't. You shouldn't feel better that my company's got any more money because they haven't. You just swapped ownership interest with me. Right, no, none yeah. of that money goes to the company. So if you're out there saying, watching this, saying, I'm going to buy these shares to support the company. Trust me when I say it doesn't matter, a Zach. You need to be if you want to. If you genuinely want to support the company, feel free to donate. Philanthropic uh, donations to all those sort of businesses are really great. Or, frankly, buy buy shares from them when they're raising new capital. That's the money they do need to keep yeah. going. So if you want to make an impact, do that. Buying on market just is not going to make a, yeah. a single bit of difference. And unfortunately, this one, mate, there's just no way to to put a probability against success. And if you can't do that, again, it remains in the realm of speculation, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, that is a really good point, a good way of thinking of it if you're interested in these sorts of stocks. In fact, um, we'll do a deeper dive with the chief executive of Race Oncology coming up in the small caps in about half an hour's time. So we'll get a bit more detail on it. Um, Luke wants a view, Scott, on Maya, probably... Australia's most prestigious department store brand with David Jones, is it? But it has been through a lot of incarnations. <laughs> and one of the more storied ones too, Koshi, Sydney yeah. Meyer, of course, coming from overseas with, yeah. with pretty much nothing. The, the, the great immigrant story of building this business from absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, a fantastic story. And of course, the, the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl in Melbourne, such an iconic uh, destination and, and and concert venue, particularly for the carols. Yep. Great name. And, and some of that stuff is really valuable, right? Like we talk about brands. Th that is what a brand is. A brand is just a four-letter word, M-Y-E-R, on a you know, white and a black background. It's all of the things we think about when we think about a company. We think about a name. Coke makes you feel good when you drink it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Meyer is, is a place that most of us grew up going to. I used to be taken into town. Mm. Uh, we'd say, you, you put on your Sunday best, you'd go into town, you'd go to Meyer, you'd buy your new shoes and your pants, you'd have, you'd have lunch yep. at the food hall. Not that old, by the way, but that was, you know, my childhood was still that, that space. So, you know, it, it's a great brand. I, I think, frankly, generations of management since then have, have done their utmost to wreck the business, and I don't mean deliberately, but uh, trying to... Trying to deal with a with e-commerce and mm. and the Westfield style shopping malls by just saying I'm going to pretend they're not there and keep doing whatever I've already been doing just doesn't work hasn't worked and isn't going to work and so the real challenge for Maya is what does Maya look like in 2030 20 40, 2050 and I don't think it can look like this many department stores right around the country in so many locations because we're simply not shopping that way anymore yeah. we're not shopping in Maya we're going to the specialist shop next door the dress shop the shoe shop the the suit shop the bag shop whatever it is. And, and buying it there, or we're buying it from home online. 
So why would you step into a mire when you're already at Westfield rather than going to the shop next door? I don't know that management has the answer to that. I mean, they'll, they'll tell us they do and they'll tell us what they're doing about it. But as a consumer, as someone who analyzes businesses, I don't see what the difference is. Right. There is one shining light. Uh, by the way, if I, was, if I was running Meyer, I would simply shut down the vast bulk of the regional uh, shopping centers. I'm sorry to say to people who are in those regions, um, I, I think you know the big marquee stores in maybe Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, probably Adelaide, maybe Perth, that's it. That's all you want. You want probably five or six nationally, and that's that's your total, sum total of what you want because they can make up the, 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 sh- the store space, floor space, let me spit that out, is so massive. Trying to get a return on that is what Meyer's number one problem. They simply can't get a return mm. on that floor space. In the cities, where there's lots of people in a CBD, you can get away with it and you can make a, make a buck. What the bright and shining star for Maya is their online sales grew by about a third last year, which is a remarkable result for businesses otherwise being left for dead in physical format. And I think that if they can use the combination of it, those half a dozen or so marquee CBD stores and the, the, the halo effect of that brand, when you want to shop somewhere, well, at least if I go to maya.com.au, I know what I'm getting, I know the brand I'm using, I know I'm getting quality merchandise, then there's some real opportunity there for them. So that has kept the hope alive for Maya shareholders. I've got to say, mate, despite that, until they show, frankly, signs of making serious and much needed cuts to the store footprint, I can't buy the shares because I'm far from convinced right. they won't bleed out that all that, all that great online growth. Yeah. If they simply bleed that out, trying to keep the physical stores going, uh, then they're on a hiding to nothing. So I, I, it is a sell for me. If I own the shares today, I would sell them and put the money somewhere else. But there are some bright spots. And if management can grasp the nettle, I think it can be a business that's alive, not exactly thriving the way we've known it in the past, but it can be a, a meaningful yeah. part of the retail landscape in 20 years' time if they make the transition they need to make. Yeah, good point. Kevin, I, I was reading the other day, they've got a couple of million in their Maya One sort of online uh, database. Share price getting back up to a five-year high, not not far off it. Is it coming on the team investor radar again? Uh, no, right. Okay. <laughs> and for for fundamental, for more fundamental reasons, uh, the growth and all of that, and and what Scott says uh, about, I mean, it's not there yet. Maybe in the future it will. I don't know. Uh, Solomon Liu is on the register. He's heavily yeah. on the register. And I think I think he'd like, I think he'd like to do a Cannon Brooks style takeover of the uh, of the the board. I suspect. Uh, maybe he can do something to turn around. I wonder if he'll be listening to you today, Scott, and uh, with your suggestions, taking note of your suggestions, <laughs> how to trim it. Uh, but yes, yeah, so they're they're struggling with the uh, they're struggling with the legacy style department store and and getting away from that. As you say, it is hopeful that hopefully their online will um, will grow and they'll be able to take advantage of that. Uh, I was at the Accent Group AGM uh, last week. Uh, was it last week? Yeah, last week. And um, th- they're one that's been much more agile about combining mm. st- storefronts, you know, s- physical stores with their online uh, their online offering. So hopefully Maya can do that in the future. And you're right; it would be it would be an icon that would be I'd be sorry to see go. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of icons in the retail sector, Kevin Andrew wants a view on Harvey Norman. Now, does this one stack up? Uh, <laughs> It is interesting. Uh, in the the figures, it it does stack up very closely, and we have actually looked at it a few times. Right. Um, it's it, it's got good sort of solid growth in terms of earnings, and the debt's low. Uh, the stability of earnings is not uh, under our our requirements, but it's in the sort of orange level, so it's kind of not 
not quite up in the green, not quite in what we would desire. Huh. But other than that, you know, on the numbers, it looks good. Our members wrestle with the complexity of the, um, I think, the accounts and can, you know, are they opaque? Can we tell what's going on? Um, and the other, the other part of it is, of course, our, uh, Norman's uh, Harvey, Jerry Harvey's uh, personality is one that you have to, have to be confident oh, in. Oh, well, but you, you guys, <laughs> Team Invest is a big fan of Flight Center. That's very yes, similar. There's a, a founder-led with, well, uh, with yes. a big personality. So uh, That is true, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, it, it just depends on your particular take on the personality, I suppose. <laughs> well, you, ca- you couldn't get anyone stingier than Jerry Harvey in terms of making sure they look after every dollar of themselves and the company. And the company, that is true. Uh, yeah. He has made a couple of... And they're not material. He has made a couple of uh, interesting forays into other areas in some of his investments, uh, yeah. which didn't turn out so well. So, right. Uh, but as I say, they're not material, so uh, he can do that, I suppose. So what do you say? Are you saying no on uh, Harvey Norman? Not, uh, the figures look me, good, but you don't like the bloke. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say I don't like the bloke. <laughs> I think it's uh, it's probably an, a, a taste that you have to acquire. And also, the uh, you'd have to make sure you understand. I I believe you may have to make sure you understand what's going on with the accounts and make sure that you can see everything that's going on. Basically, right. Okay. And understand it. But yeah, so not not particularly. For okay. Me. Scott, Jerry Harvey's one of the great retailers. <laughs> he is. He is. Well, An iconoclast, I, I think we can call him, Koshi. Yeah, I'm a, I must admit, I think the power uh, is uh, his partner, Katie. But anyhow, I think she might be the brains. Of, <laughs> Right. No offence, Jerry. She might be. She <laughs> he might would be probably agree, I'd reckon. Yeah, I reckon so too. What do you think of Harvey yeah, Norman? Nice one. Mate, I own Harvey Norman. We've recommended Harvey Norman. I think it's a buy, so let me get that all out of the way first. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, is, Kevin is 100% right. I I have a slightly different view on corporate governance. Maybe not even different, just, just a different way of expressing it. But, you know, I'll... I'll, I'll I liken him a little bit to Warren Buffett, not in the same league in terms of investing. But, um, you know, the corporate advisors would say Buffett is not independent. His board's not independent. Uh, there's no corporate governance. They should turn the board over, all that kind of stuff. And Buffett says, well, what do you people want from me? I'm, I, you know, I've got all my money in it. All, all the directors have got most of their money in it. We're running it as if it's our business. We're trying to do the right thing by our shareholders. What more do you people want? And I kind of feel like that a bit with Jerry. You know exactly what you're getting. If you if you buy or hold Harvey Norman shares, you know who Jerry is. You know what you're getting. You know, frankly, as you said, what he's done over the last 45, maybe even 50 years now, I think it might be, um, in both Norman Ross and then Harvey Norman after that. And so the question really is, you know, are you prepared to accept the the, the edges that might be considered rough edges by some, and probably with reason, uh, for the, the value that he and, as you say, the CEO, Katie Page, his wife, delivers for Harvey Norman. And that that is kind of a bit of, uh, you know, what you get. Uh, Kevin's right about the, the, the accounts. They're not as clear as most people, including me, would like them to be. So the question is, do you think Jerry is going to be working to add value to your shareholding? Are you going to throw your lot in with Jerry Harvey or are you not? And that's kind of all it comes down to. Now, we know that, you know, these kind of um, uh, cult of personality CEOs can go either way. You can have your... Mm-hmm. your Make your choice about Elon Musk and others uh, as to whether you're a, you're a fanboy or whether you can't stand the bloke. Uh, but if you are, then you're going to say, well, you know what? Elon's got rough edges, but I'm going to invest with him or I'm not. For mine, that's that's the Jerry Harvey story. I, I think he's a very, very good retailer. As again, it's Katie Page. Um, they're exceptional retailers. The model is working. I actually owned shares and sold them maybe five or seven years ago because they really were screwing up the online thing. Jerry had famously said, online's yep. a fad and all that yep. kind of stuff. Yep. And he got that horribly wrong. And, and Harvey Norman weren't adapting. You know, at that point, I sold my shares like, I don't want to buy a business that's not getting it. I bought them again, 
and we recommended it maybe 12 months ago. The shares are just way too cheap, mate. So we talk about Maya. Here's this. Maya's on a P of eight and a half. Harvey Norman on seven point three. Now I don't I don't know how you wow. square that circle, frankly. Um, Harvey Norman is just now look. Maybe next year is tough. Maybe there is a recession. Maybe there's a downturn. Maybe sales and profits fall. Maybe all those things happen. But if I look out three, five, seven, ten years and say, if I could buy Harvey Norman for seven times, seven and a half times earnings in 2022, and do I think I'm going to make decent money over the next five and ten years? Absolutely. I could be yeah. wrong. I could be absolutely wrong. But given those odds. I don't know. I don't know if there's a better value proposition on a probabilistic basis on the ASX. I'm not saying it's the cheapest stock. I'm just saying yep. if you look at it and go, hang on, this is this is Harvey with 50 years of track record. All the things he's doing, yeah, the growth's going to be slower because he's he's pretty much colonised the, the retail landscape between Harvey and, and JB. So you know, there's not much left to be grabbed, but really high quality retailer, really good brand, really well known, stupid cheap price. Uh, I don't know, mate. I, I'm very very happy to own them. I'm very happy to have recommended them. Uh, notwithstanding Jerry's uh, Jerry's style and, and approach, and, and he'll make some headlines for the right and wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, the question is really: is the is the business itself in good hands? Is it has it got an attractive future? I think the answer is yes. And at seven times earnings, you, I, sales could sales probably go backwards slowly for years, and yeah. you still make money at that sort of price. Yeah, so no. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a fan. good point. Okay, uh, Kevin Joe wants a view on uh, Credit Corp, the uh, financial institution that basically buys loan books and. Uh, and then collects all the repayments. Um, what do you think of Credit Corp, Kevin? This is uh, this is one that I've liked for a long time. It's a very very well run business, yeah. um, and uh, we've we've studied it for quite a while. It's an exercise in a couple of things. I think uh, an exercise in one of the one of the things that we often say is that the best businesses, uh, when times get difficult, the best businesses will come out of those difficult times stronger than their less well run competition. Yeah. if you like. And that's been illustrated very, very strongly through COVID with Credit Corp. Uh, everyone was saying, oh, this sort of area of uh, the the industry is going to have hard times, is going to come down. They made provisions, they made solid provisions, which shows up in their 2020 uh, profit figures. Um, and aside from that, their growth is very strong. They're very profitable. It's also often a very misunderstood business. People think of it as a payday lender, um, which it's not really. They buy distressed ledgers mainly from banks, uh, and then uh, and they're very disciplined about what they pay. They will they will stay out of a market rather than pay too much what they consider to be too much for a debt ledger. Um, and the other thing they then do is they work with the people who owe the money the consumers who owe the money, they will work with them to make them better borrowers, to make them better managers of their money yep. in order for Credit Corp to get the money back from that. And then, of course, they have the other part of their business where they lend to consumers as well. Uh, having worked with these people, they then understand the real risk profile of these people better than anyone else in the market. So they have those sort of sides of the business and they use a lot of technology to make sure they get it all right. Um, so it's often a very misunderstood business by people. They think it's just another payday lender, which is yep. not. They do, yep. they do it very, very well. They're also moving into the United States, which is uh, now starting to look very good. They just recently bought the uh, debt ledger of Collection House, and Collection House has since gone into receive, receivership. Uh, and, of course, the radio rentals uh, le leasing business from the Thorn Group. Yep. So, uh, yes, I am a happy owner of shares in credit. Well, would you be buying them at these levels? At, at these levels, I think I would want to want the share price to come up a little bit. I'm, I'm right. kind of 
I'm going to use Scott's terminology here, and I say I'm on the edge of a hold, on okay. the upper edge of a hold, perhaps. All right. All right. Scott, what about you? At this time last year, Credit Corp share price was 35 bucks. Today, it's under 20 It's a reminder, Koshi, that you can pay too much for even the best quality assets. And I think that's a really good reminder across the ASX over the past 12 months. We'll see in 12 months' time whether this price is too cheap. Maybe $30 was the right price. You could also make that argument. Uh, but Credit Corp's profits have been growing. Uh, currently, appears about 14 odd times. Now, you know, was 22 times too much to pay for, for Credit Corp? Maybe. I mean, Kev is probably close to that, frankly. He's a bit of a long-term shareholder. He's followed the business closer. So I, I defer to his knowledge on, on whether it's too cheap now or too expensive then. But I, my guess is, uh, based on the kind of edge of a hold conversation we just had, uh, maybe it was too expensive at that, at that point. So there's, there's the right time and the right price price to pay for some assets. You don't have to jump into even the best businesses if you're not being offered a decent way to get in. Credit Corp's done a great job, as Kevin's already highlighted. I think this is one business I've underestimated for quite a while. Um, it's continuing to do really, really well. What I'm not comfortable enough with, why I would also say it's a hold, I think pricing's about there. That's not overly cheap, not overly expensive. Is the, there's, there's so many different moving parts to these credit collection businesses. You've got the amount of debt ledgers available. So you can, it's the inventory, if you like. Can you buy enough of them? Can you buy them at the right price, as Kevin's already said? Uh, and also, what's the likelihood of people being able to repay? And how does that change over time, particularly as economic circumstances change? Think about going into tougher economic times with house prices, uh, with um, uh, home loan uh, repayments going mm. up, with personal loan rates going up. Maybe there's an issue around whether we have a spike in unemployment. Just simply people saying, I've got to pay more for everything else. I can't afford to pay the yep. whatever it is, uh, phone bill or credit card bill or whatever it is. You know, I'm going to have to let that go. And so th these moving parts are really, really challenging. And it's a really difficult thing to get your head around properly. Um, so if I looked out, look forward 12, 18 months and say, I don't know, what, what gets worse, what gets better? Uh, mm. Are there more ledgers? Is that good or bad? Is the pricing better or worse? Do the collection rates rise or fall? I just don't know. I, I find this one really, really right. difficult because of those moving parts. And I think very different people can make very different decisions, even looking backwards, let alone forwards, on what's likely to happen next. Um, I, the, the, the returns over the last five, six years, earnings-wise, have been great for Credit Corp, almost a straight line up, which has been lovely. This should be, though, in theory, at least a little bit cyclical as a business. So I'm not sure whether, again, you know, which part of that is, is not coming through, or maybe it's just not cyclical anymore. Maybe that would be the, the great highlight or, or insight. Okay. So I don't know. I wouldn't sell it if I owned it. The, the company's done too well, and the price is attractive enough to say, you know what, yep. just, you know, if you own it, you probably own it for the right reasons. You've probably done pretty well, uh, unless over the last 12 months have been tough, as, as you've already pointed out, Koshi. But yep. um, this is a, a quality business. I wouldn't I wouldn't part ways with it in a hurry, but I don't see a clear enough value proposition given okay. the uncertainty of the current circumstances. So I'd have to make it a hold as well. Okay. All right, Joe wants uh, a quick view on our final uh, stock, Scott, Endeavour Group, spun out of Woolies, uh, all the um, the liquor hotels, BWS, um, all of those, Dan Murphy's, um, and uh, the poker machines as well. What do you think of Endeavour? I like this business a lot, Koshi. It's a really reliable business, relatively defensive earnings. There may be a headwind when it comes to the poker machine legislation. We've heard about most recently yeah. things like the cashless uh, pokey cards and other things that are happening. So there's a bit of uncertainty around the gambling side of that business, but the liquor business is really strong and will be, continue to be really strong, I think, for years. They've done a very, very good job. Uh, Dan Murphy's BWS, uh, the, the pubs, uh, you know, it, it, it's a very, very good business. What I worry about is the price. We talked about earnings. You know, Harvey's on seven times earnings. A credit card on 14, on my numbers, Endeavour's on 24 times earnings. Oh, wow. Literally three times as much 
uh, as Harvey and, and almost double that of Credit Corp. And you say to yourself, okay, does it really genuinely deserve that sort of premium? Now, if the market continues to overpay, which I think it's being overpaid right now, I think it's too expensive. If the market continues to overpay, maybe you don't lose money. Maybe the defensiveness of the business always attracts a premium and maybe you're okay and you don't lose too much. But, you know, the, the basic math says either people are overpaying now and will continue to overpay, in which case you do okay, but probably don't get a lot of growth, yeah. or the market's overpaying now and when it stops overpaying, you might be in line for some losses. So I mentioned before, there's a time to pay, you know, you want to be careful paying too much even for the best business. This is not the highest quality business in the world. It's not a bad business. It's pretty good. I, you know, maybe top second quartile, something like that. Um, so, you know, one I'd happily own, but I wouldn't pay 24 times okay. earnings for it. If I owned it, I would sell it. I just don't think the value is there. Um, so market is a sell for me, not on business quality, just simply on, on investor optimism right. and, and over exuberance. Yep. Kevin? Yes, I'd have to have to agree with Scott there. The 24p is, is very high for this business. And for us in its present form, it's only got two two periods of results. Um, so not long enough for us to, to form any any sort of judgment. Okay. Um, although having said that, those two periods look reasonable and yes, uh, good solid business. Um, perhaps with time, uh, it'll come, uh, we'll be able to see and get more of a, a, a bit of a clearer picture as to, as to the growth and, you know, in earnings and and whatever. So other than that, right. and the debt's the debt's high for us as well. Okay. All right. Gents, we got a dash. Uh, Kevin Robertson from uh, Team Invest. Thank you kindly. Scott Phillips, always a delight to have you on from The Motley Fool. Good to see you, chaps. Thanks Thank again. You, Thank you, Koshi. Uh, let's Thanks. recap Bye. the uh, final five stocks. Race Oncology, a no from both. Uh, Maya, a no from uh, Kevin, a sell from Scott. Harvey Norman, a buy from... Uh, Scott, a no from Kevin, Credit Corp, a hold from both, and Endeavour Group, a sell from both. If there are any stocks uh, you'd like us to cover here on the call for me to put to our expert panel, put them in an email, thecall at ausbiz.com.au, or tweet us using the at TV handle, and you can see all the stocks in the call's portfolio at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Small caps coming up next. You don't want to miss that. More of Ausbiz after this. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.